welcome back to First Generation, a podcast for the first generation Asian kids. The topic I want to talk about this week is what does it mean to find your voice? And I don't mean to be all woo-woo about this. What I mean is how do you feel comfortable offering opinions in a free-form, unstructured environment? Um, how do you trust that what you're thinking is valid and should be something that you bring up? These are skills that did not come easily to me, which, yes, is ironic given what I'm doing here right now. Um, it was something that I've had to actively work on. So I talk about this with a good friend of mine, Emily, who moved to New York from the southern part of China when she was 14 and had to adapt not only to an entirely new country and language, but also to a culture that is heavily biased towards being vocal. Sometimes, you know, even at the expense of public good, but that's a separate topic. We reflect on how our backgrounds may have contributed to the discomfort and how we've learned to trust in the inherent value of our ideas and how to deliver them effectively and with authenticity. So we met while working at a health clinic in Chinatown, um, New York City. It was my part-time job in college, and it was your first full-time job after graduating from Barnard. Um, you then went on to Columbia University for your master's in public health, had a short stint as a healthcare consultant, uh, worked at some of the most reputable hospital organizations, and now you've shifted into working at a health tech startup. You have quite a bit of experience. I turn to you for career advice all the time. So I felt like you were the perfect person to start talking about today's topic with me, trusting that your voice is valid and trusting that, you know, what you have to say is already valuable. You don't have to mull it over in your head 15 times before you say it. Um, I think um, the idea really, I started noticing that I was not certain of my voice, probably in college. I remember, um, so I went to, like you said, a liberal arts college. Uh, it's got great faculty, great classes. Um, as a freshman, I was enrolled in a English seminar, very small class size. I think there were like seven or eight of us. Um, and we would sit in a circle, uh, you know, we would read chapters of a book and the next morning we would come to class and we we're invited to share our opinions <laughs> <laughs> for like 15 minutes straight on the things that we read the day before. It was horrifying for me. <laughs> Just one, not used to that type of setting where you are just talking, expressing your opinions for 15 minutes straight. Not used to it, honestly. Like, uh, mm -hmm. went to school, elementary school, middle school in China, where it was very much, you know, just listen to the teacher, uh, prepare for the test, get good grades. And then went to public high school in Brooklyn, New York, where the classroom size is 32 students plus, right? So never really had the opportunity to practice uh, speaking and formulating your thoughts and have the opportunity to share your voice at length. Um, so it was just really challenging. Um, I remember like sitting up at night um, before preparing my speech, <laughs> writing out, oh, what am I going to say tomorrow? It was not meant to be uh, very structured. It was free form. You're supposed to just talk casually about what your thoughts are. But because I didn't have that 
practice and I didn't know how to do it, I couldn't do it naturally and it was very painful for me. And I think, so one, it's the lack of experience and two, not used to culturally being asked to share my opinions. I think sharing opinions is very different from sharing facts, right? Like if I'm sharing how, like if I, I don't know, uh, solve a problem and I'm being asked, what are the steps that you, you took to solve this problem? It's very different than what are your thoughts on, on this passage? So for me, that was really the first time where I realized, oh, I need to work this. You know, I need to, I need to figure out a way to be able to do this effectively um, and also make myself uh, more comfortable and make it a less painful experience. Um, so that's really when I first started thinking about this. It's really interesting that you mentioned the education system that you were in in China. Um, so you immigrated to the U.S. when you were 14, right? 14, 15? Yep. And then you attended public school in Brooklyn for high school. So for you, you mentioned there is a very wide gulf in, you know, just what you would do within a, a school setting in China versus what you would do at a liberal arts college, Barnard. It's weird because, I mean, I was born and raised in New York, but still that speaks to me because, you know, of course, I've never attended school in China before um, when, as a kid. But what you just said is still very familiar because you're right, like growing up at home, I've never been in an environment where you're asked to share your opinion, right? Like it's not customary, at least not in my household. And I'm going to assume not in a lot of immigrant households will, you know, your parents ask you randomly, like, oh, what do you think about this thing that we're seeing on the news? Right? No, like it's no. not a muscle that you've been taught to flex. Um, if anything, it's like the opposite, you know, like, if I were to ask my mom for her opinion about XYZ, she probably would tell me like, why are you thinking about that? Don't waste your time, just go do your homework. Um, so it's a very different mentality. Like it's not something, I think a, a, a muscle at home that I've learned to flex. And it sounds like it's similar to you, like how definitely you had the school aspect from um, schooling in China, but what about at home? Did your parents kind of allow you to practice that part of opinion giving? I resonate with everything you just said. Um, it's very similar. Um, I think my parents, like many uh, immigrants who are not educated, um, are very practical people. <laughs> so to them, thinking it's not very practical. Uh, when asked, you know, what do you think, like, what are your opinions on this mom? She would tell mm -hmm. you something along the lines of, well, uh, thinking to thinking about this doesn't, does nobody any good, does it? <laughs> mm. My, like, how would my thoughts, um, change anything? Mm -hmm. So to them, they want to focus on what's practical, mm -hmm. um, which is things that are actionable. And I don't think that's a bad thing um, that mm -hmm. leads to them being very hardworking and producing results. But at the same time, as a uh, as their kid, like you said, we didn't get a lot of opportunities to flex that muscle of uh, formulating our opinions on things. And then having uh, 
are having supporting evidence to to support our our opinions, right? Because I think that is really a skill that is so important, both in life and but especially at work. Um, how do you sell your ideas? How do you bring people on your side? How do you ad advance in your professional career? Not being able to formulate opinions and advocate for yourself, in my opinion, would be a disadvantage, uh, especially in the American workplace. Mm, absolutely. It, it's interesting, right? Because your first sort of um, glimpse into this world where oh, you, you, you're supposed to offer your opinion and you're supposed to feel comfortable doing that. And the absence of providing your opinion is actually seen as a negative thing um, was college. But for me, actually growing up in the American public school system, I was always acutely aware that this is where I, this was something I sucked at. In um, like elementary school, people would say like, oh, like my teachers would say like, Jen is shy, she should participate more. Um, and then gradually as I got older, I would participate more, but let's say some other feedback I would get from uh, in regards to my writing um, was that I need to quote unquote find my voice. And that was always really like bewildering to me. Like, what do you mean find my voice? This is, this is my voice. <laughs> um, and now looking back, obviously, I think what they meant was I was following the structure that they offered, right? So I did have supporting evidence. I did have, you know, a thesis and, and um, all of that, but I didn't really kind of throw in my own pizzazz. I don't know. Like all of this was just so foreign because at home, like this is not something that is being prioritized. Um, and it also just dawned on me as you were speaking that like, this is not necessarily all immigrant families, right? Because actually there's a lot more, I think, immigrants coming into the, uh, to the U.S. with um, a great deal of education. So maybe it's different for them, but yeah, you're right. Like our parents, I think like my mom didn't even finish high school. I think so the idea of like thinking as an exercise as the precursor to making change is not something that crosses her mind at least. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I think for a lot of immigrants, their lives are so preoccupied with other burdens, you know, like survival. How do you have enough money to uh, pay for rent? How do you have enough money to support your children? Um, and when, when your minds are so occupied with just the necessities of life, like mm -hmm. having an opinion on things that are not immediately relevant to you is such a privilege. Um, mm -hmm. Being able to sit down and think about it, it's also, in my opinion, a privilege. Um, so I think this yeah. is something that I'm very aware of. And I think, um, as I'm growing older, I also understand my parents and where they're coming from and why the way, why they are the way they are. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely been a very much a learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like knowing where they are, uh, where they're coming from absolutely means that, um, like, I think we would still recognize that like, okay, this is how my upbringing has um, sort of shaped my life and shaped some of the f muscles that I do know how to flex versus those that I don't um, as often. But, you know, it doesn't mean that it takes away from 
you know, our, our parents being good parents or, or anything like that. So I guess now, and so in college, you, you started realizing that, and then you actively tried to practice it by (laughs) planning out your talking points (laughs) a day, your speech, your soliloquy a day in advance. Um, and then I guess, how did that transition into the workforce, uh, change that? Because it sounded like your way of, um, learning to flex that muscle in college was to prepare, right? So how did that change when you started working? I think um, when I first started working, it was very much uh, watching other people, watching how other people do it, right? So I remember when I started working at the the, uh, health clinic that we we met, um, I watched the people that I admired um, and how they do it and kind of just trying to model myself after them. And I wasn't great at it. And then I started realizing that there are things I can do to, to be better, right? Practicing, it, it's one of them. And the other one that I found particularly helpful, it's having a mindset that when mm. I am speaking, uh, I need to focus on my message. Like, what is the message I am trying to give to my audience? And in doing that, I focus less on myself and becoming less self-conscious. And that really works for me. Um, Whenever I feel a little bit nervous about before a presentation or bank meeting, I try to remind myself, hey, what is the goal? What are the goals here? What, what are the messages that you're trying to uh, give to the people in this meeting? What are, what are the best ways to uh, deliver those messages clearly and, and people can understand you? So that really shifted my focus on the message and less so on myself. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, I become a lot more confident, a lot less self-conscious and a lot more trusting of my voice that I am speaking something that might be of value or of are of value to other people um yeah and I'm not like wasting their time which is a lot of times I think the thought that's at the back of my mind is like I don't want to waste people's time um so yeah having that mindset shift of focusing on the message rather than your own self and your own insecurities um, has really helped. Actually, so you you just mentioned the idea of like being afraid of wasting people's time. Um, I just realized, you know, how do you, what do you think like not trusting your voice means? Um, One of them it sounds like is that you think whatever you have to say is inherently quote unquote wasting someone's time. I, I would just like to kind of like dig a little deeper on that. Um, Why do you think that we sometimes have this mentality that whatever I have to say may be, might be, um, you know, not worthy of an audience? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And I've thought about that too. I think for me, I can't speak to everyone's experiences, obviously, but for me, I, um, Growing up, I was always taught to be humble, which I still think it's a great virtue. Um, And my mom would always tell me uh, there was a Chinese proverb that says, 
you know, 三人行必有我师焉 which means、um, if there are three people walking together, one of them will be a teacher. One of them can be a teacher, which essentially、uh, mm-hmm. means you can learn something from everybody, right? So you need to be humble and listen and take in what you can from those around you, which I think it's a great mentality. At the same time, though, I think it subconsciously instilled in me that、uh, other people that I should just be learning from other people,、uh, mm-hmm. and that other people around me have better ideas than me.、Um, I think that subconscious that that subconscious thinking translates to my own insecurities later on in life, and my thoughts and my opinions. Coupled with the lack of skill in delivering, just made it worse, right? So, in order to reverse that mindset, I really had to actively retrain myself to think that you know what.、Mm. Sometimes that might be true,、uh, but other times you might have better ideas than other people in the room.、Mm-hmm. Um, And what if you don't, right? Like, what if you don't? But your ideas might be unique. Your perspectives are very unique.、Um, there are a lot of people in this world, and not everyone has the same experience or same perspective.、Um, so, training myself to think、uh, in a different way, and then also practicing so that you become better at it. Your ideas are as good as the way you deliver them. So、um, that two things together made me more confident in myself and more sure of my own voice.、Mm. It's the the what you just said about、um, feeling like other people's ideas are probably better. Like that is something that really resonates with me because I think you know how it how not trusting your voice shows up. In my life, and of course, I can't speak with、uh, on behalf of everyone else. Is sometimes I would feel back then like I I shouldn't contribute unless I'm sure that whatever I'm about to say is original, not obvious. Other people in the room probably haven't thought about it yet. And this was the case growing up in school, right? Like where I'm like I'm not going to raise my hand until I'm a hundred percent sure. Um, and then at work, it translates to not actively contributing to the conversation until you feel like, oh, this is a topic I can definitely speak to, or hey, this is a topic where my idea—I'm like ninety-five percent sure.、Um, you know, some people in the room haven't thought of it yet, and I've, similar to you, just kind of had to tell myself almost like. Fake it till you make it.、Um, in a way, like no, you you have to believe in the inherent value of your opinion, right? Like you have to trust that the twenty whatever years of life that you've lived is completely unique. No one has lived that before, and so whatever you are about to say kind of stems from that, and that gives makes me feel a little bit more powerful because. The threshold no longer becomes like, oh, is this original? It's more just like it, by default, has to be original because it's coming from me. That is such a good point. I think part of it it's also this fear of being judged, 
you know, at least for me, when I, before I open my mouth, similar to you, I would debate, I have, I would have all these internal debates on, oh, you know, is this a stupid idea? Uh, what if I say this and it might offend some people in the room? Inherently to me, it's just this fear of being judged and not being liked, right? By those uh, in your circles. Um, what I've come to realize though, it's, it's becoming less and less important to me that I'm liked. <laughs> um, I think yes, we, I love that. yeah, I think life is way too short to, to just live to please others. Um, so once you have developed that thicker skin, and you just don't care as much about what other people mm -hmm. think of you and what you say, it becomes much easier to speak your mind um, and to share um, your opinions. Do you remember we, how we took this trip to ups, was it upstate New York at one point? We were at this Airbnb <laughs> and I think I was having like a, like, I don't know, I was probably on the verge of a panic attack or something because I, what just started my first job at IBM and um I was telling you like I'm like really stressed out uh and the quote I don't know how this happened but the quote that the Airbnb host gave me I don't even how did she give me that quote I think she just said like let go of the positive regard from others that actually stuck with me because I think in that moment I realized the reason why I'm stressed is because I'm stressed out trying to portray myself in a certain way, which is to say that I want to make sure that I am liked, right? Like I, there, and so a lot of the stress comes from, in a way, like people pleasing, like you said, because you want to be liked, um, which makes sense for right? everyone wants to feel that way, especially uh, you know, when they're new to a certain environment, you want to be liked. But yeah, I think that's a, a good point. Like letting go of this need to be liked by others also means that now I could say something and like, you don't, you might not agree with it and that's okay. I'll yeah. just, I'll be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I remember that trip. It was to uh, Beacon. Oh yeah. 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 Beacon, yeah. New York. Yeah. That, was that host was, was a cool lady. Um, <laughs> yeah. She's totally a hippie. Um, I mean, yeah. the fact that she would even say something like that to their, to her Airbnb guest is like, <laughs> but I, you yeah. know, I, I'm glad she said it. I think it was like a good reminder at the time. So one of the ways that you mentioned that you learn to flex the muscle more is by focusing on the message, having less of the focus on yourself and how you're being portrayed uh, or like how other people may see and perceive what you had to say, growing thicker skin. And I think part of that comes from believing in your, the inherent value of what you have to offer. Um, but you also mentioned something about the delivery, which I think is very um, key. Cause I mean, we can say like grow thicker skin, but at the end of the day, you do want your message to stick, right? Like you don't, want to just offer your opinion and have it be walked all over by people. So I think the, just to kind of bring it back to like reality, the delivery matters. So I wonder how, like you, you've mentioned, you've kind of like had to retrain yourself um, to, to care about the delivery and to improve your delivery. Um, what are some of the ways in which you've done that? 
I think you're actually really good at that. So I would love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> for <laughs> for me, I I remind myself to speak to the room, meaning I want to share my opinions、um, and frame them in a way that matters to the people that are listening. For example, at my job, my role is very operational focus. Um, so I might be working cross-functionally with tech people, with、uh, clinical people, with、uh, legal. So everyone's perspectives,、uh, the, everyone's opinions—they're coming from different different angles, right? So for me, whenever I share my opinions, I try to make sure that I frame it from their perspective,、um, because at the end of the day. People are very selfish, right? Like we, we all very,、um, we all think from our perspective. So if、mm. you are sharing something that speaks to me, then I will be much more likely to pay attention and really remember it. It could be the same thing, but if you frame it from my perspective, it would stick with me more. So that's one trick or one thing that I remind myself to do. Um, when I'm when I'm sharing my thoughts to other people,、um, another way to do it would be having a partner in the room with you, so that you can bounce ideas off of each other. This has been like particularly helpful when you are introducing new ideas. I actually learned this from from a boss of mine. She does it really well. Whenever we have a big meeting or a big project that we are launching, she would actually schedule meetings separately with each of the key stakeholders、mm-hmm. to hear what they have to say, to hear what their concerns are, and then、uh, preview some of the ideas to them to get them kind of on your side.、Mm-hmm. And then when the big group comes together, when she shares her ideas,、um, you kind of have. Friends already, you know, in the room. Yeah. So that really helps, especially when you're new or when you are a one-person team.、Um, yeah. Wow, that's such a great point.、Um, I think、uh, in my job, I also manage stakeholders.、Um, so there's a lot of inherent like negotiation、um, as a product manager, and you work with one now, so you kind of know.、Um, Because you know you have finite resources, you have finite time, but in my job, like maybe a lot of our stakeholders kind of want to make sure that something they care about is on our roadmap, for example, and so the nature of the conversation then becomes me kind of, in essence, delivering bad news. Like、mm-hmm. either I'm not doing this that thing that you want, or I'm going to do it, but at a limited scope. Uh, because there's not that much time, or it you know, maybe the value we see isn't as quite as high.、Um, so how do you kind of manage those conversations? And you're right, like having it be first introduced in a one-on-one conversation helps to kind of remove a lot of the ego, right? Because when you, if you were to deliver that news in front of everybody, in front of all the stakeholders, then now I think naturally people have a tendency to want to kind of defend. Um, why their idea or like what they wanted to get on the roadmap is important, right?、Uh, 
um, which is fair, but doing that, allowing them to do that in a one-on-one setting kind of removes that sense of like, oh, I have, I have to kind of speak up now in front of everybody because that's kind of what we've been conditioned to do. Um, that's, that's great. And I, I think this, it also kind of goes back to the idea of like finding advocates for yourself in a room, right? So, I mean, I think naturally if you're going to have more one-on-one conversations with someone, you get to know them more, you get to know their perspective more. And you're right, like maybe in a meeting, um, even if you haven't primed them on X, Y, Z things that you wanted to talk about beforehand, maybe they know you well enough now that they kind of like know, oh, I know where Emily's coming from. Um, so I'm going to kind of support what she's saying in the in the meeting. Yeah, I think it comes down to relationship building. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if, even though the my focus wouldn't be to be light, but it would be, you know, it would be nice to have great relationships. People respect you. People understand where you're coming from, so that when you are disagreeing with them, um, they know that you're not coming from a bad place. Like you, you are. You've built that relationship. You've built that trust with them. So. Um, I think the delivery very much important. Building positive relation, positive productive relationships with people definitely helps. Uh, having that champion in the in the room um, really crucial. Mm-hmm. And I think when you are as a young person or someone who looks young, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's not helpful in a work setting. People are thinking, do you really know what you're talking about, right? Like, do you, you look so young, you might be fresh out of college. So how do you develop that brand? Like, how do you build those relationships, build that, build those trust? It's so difficult, I think, especially at the beginning. Um, But as you, as you build those relationships, people would start trusting you. um, And then you start trusting yourself more. um, And I think it's a positive cycle. Yeah. Ah, yeah, that's a great point. It's kind of like you learn to flex the muscle in ways that you can control. Like you said, um, speaking to the room, knowing where people are coming from, learning how to frame things in a way where they'll care about it, um, or things are well within your control. Um, And then even when you say relationship building, right, maybe the first step is just to schedule a one-on-one with that person about some topic, right? And over time, that leads to the relationship forming. And all of these sort of practical ways to trusting and learning how to deliver um, uh, your, your thoughts and opinions, once you start seeing how all of this is paying off, right? And by paying off, I mean maybe like you're seeing that you're able to deliver this and people are listening, um, you start kind of feeling confident in that and it encourages you to do it even more. So over time, it becomes like a, a solid muscle um, that you have, that you maybe hopefully becomes kind of second nature. Exactly, that's exactly right. And I think it's important to uh, remember that everyone, not everyone that l- looks confident are confident, right? Mm. So I think it's important to to be nice and to be kind to others. So when I see someone give a presentation, they might look a little nervous, but you know, it's their first presentation. I would uh, try to remind myself to maybe send that person a message after the meeting, telling them mm. great job, encourage them. Um, 
I really do think that that would uh, make everyone's lives better. Um, another thing that I try to remind myself is a lot of times we are so focused on every little mistake that we make. Mm. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I make a mistake, I would like play it back in my head a thousand times, right? Like, mm -hmm. and at the, what I've realized is most people, almost nobody would remember that mistake except for yourself. <laughs> so <laughs> the thing that you're killing yourself over, that you are stressing over, it's really not that important at the end of the day because people don't pick up on it the way that you do. Um, so remembering that it's also really important. Mm, yeah. Um, another thing that I think you do really well uh, about how to kind of concisely and effectively deliver a message is you have a really great cadence. Like you're not afraid mm. to pause. You're not afraid to have, you know, kind of drag out the, the, the ending tones of some words um, and have that kind of natural pause. I've always felt like it forces, it kind of drags me into want to listen a little bit more. And also you emote uh, quite a bit through your enunciation of words. So do you know, thank you. Do you know how I, uh, did I ever tell you how I practice English? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so I came to this country at the, uh, when I was 14. Uh, I, I learned some China, uh, English when I was in China, but it was a lot of mm -hmm. grammar, spelling, uh, things like that. Not a lot of speaking. So when I came to this country, um, I went to school. I went to a, a middle school for three months and then I graduated. But during that three months, I didn't understand a word the teachers were saying. Uh, so I just sat there for eight hours a day. <laughs> um, they didn't have uh, Chinese speaking teachers. So, so I had to learn the language. And one way I learned, I, well, when I went, went to high school, things got a lot better. They had ESL classes and I was able to learn English more um, systematically. So I had an ESL teacher, her name was uh, Miss Green. I still remember her, she's a great lady. And she would encourage us to read in class. <laughs> so she would have simple passages and she would have us read in class, uh, mm -hmm. take turns and reading class. So for me, I would prepare for that. So I would go home and I would actually stand in front of a mirror and read it to myself. And I would look at myself and see uh, my mouth and my pronunciation and things like that. That's how I practice my English. So maybe maybe yeah. that has something to do with it. I don't know. Maybe that helped make me more a little bit more animated when I'm speaking English. Huh. That's exactly what I would do uh, before presentations. Like I would sound like a crazy person, um, but I would speak out loud to myself over and over and over again until it becomes very like second nature and the, I kind of start knowing how my brain is trying to group ideas together. So then the delivery becomes a lot more smooth. Um, yeah. So maybe there is something to be said about like literally just um, practicing the mouth movements. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I bet you there's some research on that probably about like how, um, how it's all kind of linked together. But yeah, that's a very interesting way of 
of um, arriving at where you are today. Um, yeah. Another kind of, we, we briefly talked about this um, before, but so I think we've talked a lot about things that you can control, right? Which I think is a very healthy way to look at things. Um, you know, you can tr learn, find ways to kind of flex those muscles, believing in the inherent value of the things that you have to say. Um, what about, you know, have you ever been in situations where, let's say you have been flexing this, right? You have been actively trying to engage by giving your opinions, your ideas, um, you know, in the way that you do now, but have felt undervalued in some way? Yeah. When I was a consultant, I was working with a lot of experienced um, consultants that are very good at being domineering, <laughs> very mm -hmm. good at uh, expressing their thoughts and shocking, being, <laughs> just being very confident. And I remember trying to speak up, but not being taken seriously, just not just dismissed uh, next, next idea. Um, and I remember feeling very frustrated. I didn't do anything to help myself in that situation. I just ended up not speaking up and, you know, really not liking my job. So now that I'm looking back, like what could I have done differently, right? I think one of the things I didn't do was relationship building. I don't think I had good relationships with them in the sense that they, I didn't, they didn't know me or trust me. Um, so I take responsibility on, on that front, but at, obviously they could have also just listened to the merits of my thoughts. Um, so what do you do in that situation? I, I think trying to speak their language would help. I know a lot of them were like big on football. <laughs> so I, they, if I could like squeeze in, I don't know, some football analogies, you know, we oh my God! So Emily, close you... to that first down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else could I have done. Um, might have helped, but you know, at the end of the day, some some things are not meant to be, right? That's why I wasn't a healthcare consultant mm -hmm. for that long. That's why I left that company very soon after, and then moved on to something better. So. I think we pick mm -hmm. our battles and I think if yeah. it's a really important one, you try your best. But if there are things that you absolutely cannot control, then I yeah, say goodbye. I, <laughs> I love that. I love that you, in hearing what you're saying, you're not putting all of that pressure on yourself, right? Like you did mention, okay, maybe I could have been, you know, like build more relationships, you know, throw in some football references, but at the end of the day, like it's not all on you. It's in this particular situation, I'm going to assume it's like 99% not you. Um, and in those cases, if that's really the case, like it's okay to walk away. It's okay to acknowledge like, oh, this is not an environment where, you know, my I'm being valued as a equal. Um, and if I cannot change it, or if, if I'm too exhausted to change it, the change I can make for myself is to walk away to something better. Yeah. A lot of times we 
tie our worth, like our value to our occupation. Like it stems from, I think, like a lot of parents would want their kids to be doctors or lawyers and or to work for like big name companies. So because of that, sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to especially if we are in those big name companies or if we're doing those very prestigious prestigious jobs that we want to stay there right like we want to mm -hmm. we think that okay this is something great we need to do everything we can to keep it and to stay work uh, stay at the, those jobs but i i don't think our self-worth and our identities are tied to our jobs i think it's it's more about what we value like do we value happiness do you do you value your well-being do you also value your family and your friends and at this point in my career i value those things like obviously my job is really important to me like i want to do well at my job but if the environment if the environment i'm in it's not supportive it's not you know listening to what i have to say and it's not valuing my contribution then I'm not afraid to walk away and find a place that it's healthier, that's more supportive. Similar to you, I think I now start seeing it less as a career. I see it more as I'm collecting experiences that feel good mm. for me. And I'm collecting experience that experiences that are interesting and would help me grow as opposed to kind of seeing how I can pad my resume. Um, I mean, there's still going to be an, a certain element of that, right? Like there is, at the end of the day, we still have egos and we still kind of want to be able to say like you work for whatever company um, or that you're doing, you're working at a startup, you know, like there's still some of that. But I think largely it's this idea that, you know, I can still walk away from it though. It's powerful to kind of realize how far we've come. Um, the fact that, you know, we have realize that like oh okay maybe i'm not contributing to this conversation because i'm not confident in my own in what i have to offer going from that point of realization to now being able to confidently do that and it sounds like for you it's become second nature in a way no i still struggle mm. with it you know mm. i there are still times when i don't know how to navigate certain conversations mm -hmm. that is challenging um but i remind myself that you know, every every day is a learning experience, um, and there's really not like a perfect way to do it. Um, I know people overuse the word authenticity, but I truly mm. do believe that it's about what works for you, right? Yeah. So, what works for for me might not work for you. Um, so for me, it's about finding that balance of of being outspoken but at the same time listening to others and figuring out you know what makes me the most uh comfortable and what works best for me so every day is still like very much a learning experience and i take every opportunity as a practice as a, as a chance to practice it's so exciting to see you go from um you know healthcare consulting to then working at these like huge healthcare conglomerates um, to now at a startup doing things that, you know, you're like really building something from the ground up. And I'm, I'm excited to see what you do next. Oh, thank you. I think it's been, it's been, I'm, I've been so blessed with opportunities. 
coming my way. And so constantly something I'm thinking about, like, what do I want to do next? Where do I want to be in five years, 10 years? Yeah. Um, it's always good to kind of carve out a space and time to think about this. So thanks, Emily. Yeah. No, thank you so much for hosting. I think you're an excellent host. Thank you for <laughs> oh, having you. me. Great me five stars. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining. And hopefully we'll, I'll get to, you know, catch up with you in a little bit and hear about um, all your new exciting startup stuff. Sounds good. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Bye.